0: Next week I'll lay out the next steps that are going to we're gonna need to combat the delta variant to address some of those fears and concerns. I want to talk about how we'll further protect our schools, our businesses, our economy, and our families from the threat of Delta.
1: Well, yesterday when the tepid Jobs report came out, as we roll along here on the Tobler Show, the third and final hour this weekend on Labor Day weekend, uh Joe Biden's talking away and obfuscating and explaining away the 233,000 jobs or 235 when, uh, you know, 750 rough, roughly were planned. 750,000 and blaming it on the Delta virus and then telegraphing, as you just heard, what he's going to say next week to help because it's all the Delta virus's problem. This is entirely the Delta virus's problem. It has nothing to do with the already uh, out of control spending. Through the pandemic, yes, under Donald Trump, on into Biden with the American Rescue Plan. The uh, combined infrastructure and the reconciliation plan will be another five, six trillion dollars. We're looking at, what, 15, 20 trillion dollars over the over the first two years, the last two years, by the time this spending palooza is over. But the latest round is, of course, uh, and the latest slump in the jobs market as he said yesterday, was all the Delta virus' fault. But wait, 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 Joe. I remember that there was a time during the campaign when the Delta virus or any other variant of the COVID was not going to be a problem. All we had to do was pull the right lever in the ballot box or mail in the right or fraudulently
0: vote for Joe Biden. Take a listen. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. By golly, there's good old Joe.
1: I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to get every last American out of Afghanistan. I've got an open horizon for intelligence and keeping you safe. Right. Well, you can see that Joe hasn't shut down the virus. Clear-minded Americans that heard that should have known better. No president. No Anthony Fauci. No Alex Berenson. No Randy Tober, No anyone. My good friend Ken Remy, who's been a reliable and, and such a spot-on source through this entire pandemic, No one can shut down the virus. Viruses will do what they do. We can try to combat them. We can try to mitigate their damage. We can try to treat when they infect us better so we don't die, but we only get a little influenza like illness. The brazen hubris of politicians. Yes, Joe Biden. Of course, Nancy Pelosi. By all means, Chuck, don't get between me and a microphone. Schumer. And yes, Jim Jordan, Donald Trump, need I go further? We have a problem in this country and it isn't systemic racism, it's systemic tyranny of the of the political class. As I coined the phrase last week, are you ready for it, Max? The elitariat. There we go. There we go, the elitariat. And that's the problem we have in this country. And they will control your lives because they know what's better for you. Now, there's no doubt that the Donald Trump and the the, the conservative branch of governance and of philosophy and of political leadership in this country at all levels. Thank God they did very well in this last, last election cycle at the local and state levels as they continue to do. Conservatism continues to do pretty well there but you have to watch out for the one of the human sins that exists and that is the abuse of power and the corruption that it brings power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely just look in your own workplace look at your immediate supervisor and not most supervisors are aware of how power can be abused if they're good supervisors if they're good managers If they're good vice presidents of this or that, if they're good CFO, CEO, COO, they get it. But you have to fight that inner tendency. And unfortunately, the concentration of power, the worship that we have, and I use that, I I don't throw that word around. Loosely, I mean it. The worship that we have for political leaders. Yes, those of you who worship Donald Trump, I think it's a mistake. Uh, I have a problem. I I tend to 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 um, kneel at the altar of Ronald Reagan. I have to watch that because Reagan presided over one of the biggest spending binges in this country's history. Now, I happen to think that if you're going to spend, it ought to be on the military and the defense. Admitting that when you do that, you're going to have some corruption, but that is a constitutional and a necessary power that we need to delegate to the federal government because we can't do it at the municipal state level. You can't do it. I've had these discussions with people. Well, Randy, why why are you so pro military, pro defense? Look at the, a hammer cost fifty dollars in the well. Those days are over. That doesn't happen. But but we do know there's waste and fraud in the in the military. But I'm going to tolerate that more than I will. Waste and fraud in, let's say, the Social Security Disability Program. I know it. I see it. I live it. Sorry. It happens. It expanded 50%. The disability beneficiary pool st- grew by 50% under Barack Hussein Obama. Who also frequently said Taliban in Pakistan. No, I mean, I Seriously. We, we have to consider about the abuse of power and, and how anymore we don't think about hypocrisy and we, the people, don't call it out. And especially us conservatives, if we want to have the high ground and, and, and get the trust of that independent voter that Chris Lozano, our guest in the last segment and the segment before, talked about. That independent middle of the road, a little left, a little right, depends on the election cycle, depends on how the seasons are are blowing economically, politically. You know, those are the people that we as conservatives need to convince to vote for our guy or gal. And the only way you gain trust is through reliability and authenticity and principled behavior and living your values and following through when you say you will and calling Calling out wrong when you see it and hypocrisy when you see it. Well, we're going to call out Joe Biden because he was going to crush the virus, which he didn't. And now he blames the economic doldrums on the virus. Please. Here's another one for you. Lauren Boebert. Where's my Lauren Boebert sheet? What did I do with it? Lauren Boebert is this um, very popular congresswoman. Who is a cafe cafe owner? I think they call what is it? They call it the Revolver Cafe, I, but it has a it has a gun theme. She owns a, she and her husband own a, a, a cafe in Colorado, and she unseated a a, a stand a, a, an incumbent, and she's a, a gun toting cafe you know running populist Republican from Colorado. Well, guess what? Here it is. Here's my paper on my non nicotine stained fingers. And here is a story I saw out of the Associated Press. My son shared this with me. My son keeps me honest. He says, "Dad, you are watching too much Fox News." You got to. I said, "No, I watch CNN. I watch MSNBC." And I say, "You read too much Atlantic." Love my son. He's a he's a great great thinker, and we have great debates. I hope you have great debates with your family that are that are high level, intellectual, well referenced, and 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 um, um, you know. Uh, respectful of the other position. Colorado's Bobert, AP News. Colorado's Bobert, Biebert, Bobert. you say Bobert, I say Biebert, Let's call the whole thing off. Discloses husband's work for energy firm. Colorado Representative Lauren Bobert's husband made $478,000 last year working as a consultant for an energy firm. Information that was not disclosed during Bobert's congressional campaign and only reported in her financial disclosure forms filed this week. In paperwork filed with the House of Representatives on Tuesday, uh, the uh, Bolbert said that she did not disclose, she had disclosed this. She also listed Bobert consulting spouse on the candidate form, but listed her husband's income source as N slash A. Now, Kedrick Payne, who's a former deputy chief counsel in the Office of Congressional Ethics says the spouse is supposed to disclose the source of all earned income. And this doesn't add up with what was in the prior filing. Now, look, Max and I have done a search. We have not done a a, a Woodward and Bernstein, you know, Watergate search. But we've got
2: a cursory
1: search. Yes, a cursory, but a a good faith search to look for this on the right wing media. I have not seen it on Daily Caller, on townhall.com, on Fox News. What is wrong with us? If this would have been Nancy, someone in, you know, in California, if this would have been a blue state representative that was, uh, if this would have been AOC, who didn't, you know, make a claim that her, I don't think she's married, but uh, but let's say she was, you know, and, and she didn't, my God, it would be all over, it'd be newsbusters, we'd be railing on this, uh, <laughs> Chris and Tony, Katie and everyone on this station, Vic. Ken, Mike Ferguson, St. John the Philosopher, Gabe. Everyone would have been talking about it. Dan Bongino would have been apoplectic. He'd have had a stroke. But we're not doing this, and it's not right. Look, I... Every year because I'm the officer of a district hospital like a school district with elected board members and I'm the CEO, every year, anyone that's on the board, the CFO, the CEO you know the CEO, all have to fill out ethics Commission reports with a disclosure. My wife has a consulting business on drtobler.com and you know she gives advice to her if they want nutritional advice and, and yeah yeah occasionally they might, might obtain a supplement that's focused for them, whatever. A couple thousand bucks a year at most, you know. I have to report everything. I have to report every little red penny. And I got to tell you, every year when that comes up, I'm not kidding. I quake. Before I push send, I'm like, God, did I did I forget something that I did in the last year? What is there? I don't own individual stocks because I want to own mutual funds. So I can't be accused by someone who has a target on my back because of whatever. I mean... I live in mortal fear, as do you, of the IRS, the Ethics Commission, the Human Rights Commission, the Labor Department. I live in in mortal fear of CMS surveyors when they come in my hospital. And inevitably, they find something that you know you didn't know, or or that you didn't know you didn't know. Okay, I'm sorry, honest mistake. But you know, they can go after you. There are examples in the medical industry and every other industry where the inspector general can come in and and enforce civil and criminal penalties. If your doctor, ladies and gentlemen, sees you for a, a malady in the office and codes a level three visit rather than a level two visit, and the rules take a lot of time out of those visits, ladies and gentlemen. Part of the reason that there's not time-rich visits with your doctor, your nurse practitioner, you know, whoever you see. I don't use the word provider. That's a that's a generic term. We don't do that. We use the word doctor, nurse practitioner, clinician. I do. I won't do that because that's part of the conspiracy to devalue the professionalism. And it's working because they're separating doctors and patients because of marching to the lockstep of an overarching, tyrannical, deep state bureaucracy. There, I said it. That's my Mark Levin imitation. It's true. But my point is when you fill out your tax return or your accountant does and you have to sign that puppy. My god, I'm always worried. My god, if I done did I forget to report something I'm did I if I did honest before the fact, I want to write a letter to IRS. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I mentioned earlier in the first hour if you get pulled over. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> and you know what? Every police officer I've ever talked to, it's like, hey, did you know you were over the speed limit? Did you know you had a tail light out? Did you? Thank you very much. I apologize. I wasn't looking at the speedometer. I was thinking about something. Else. I apologize. You know, we live in mortal fear of, of the regulators. Why is it that Lauren Bulbert didn't report her energy Firm, consulting firm, husband's $478,000 income. And oh, by the way, she represents a district in which this company does lobbying and for the industry that's the largest industry or one of them in their district, the oil industry. And we don't call her out on the right. Shame on us. Well, i get off my soapbox now. We'll go to a break. And when we talk uh, to Greg Willard, I'm sure the tone will be a little more erudite. (laughs) because Greg's an adjunct professor at St. Louis U and um, a former assistant to President Ford, so it's always fun to talk with him. And about this Texas heartbeat abortion law that the Supreme Court decided to uphold the lower court's decision, so it's law, and the left is apoplectic. And millions of black babies are going to be born that wouldn't be otherwise, and yet the left is claiming that it's unfair to black moms. I don't know, the world's gone crazy, because it makes no sense to Randy, but... Greg Willard will help us make sense right after these messages. On News Talk STL, it's the Tober Show. We'll be
0: back. I have been, continue to be, a strong supporter of Roe v. Wade. Number one. And uh, the most pernicious thing about the Texas law is sort of creates a vigilante system where people get rewards to go out to. Anyway. And it just seems, I know this sounds ridiculous, almost un-American, what we're talking about.
1: Well, there was uh, President Biden talking about the Texas heartbeat abortion law, uh, which uh, was, uh, well, I guess the, the lower court rulings were upheld by refusal of the Supreme Court to hear it this last week has created a firestorm and been a dominant topic of conversation And um, it's, 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 we got to unpack that. And whenever we need to unpack thorny issues, whether it's McDonald's ice cream machines that don't work, or whether it's, uh, a little heavier topic we go to uh we go to our friend greg willard who's an adjunct professor at st louis u uh in the law school there and um always gives us great great uh, understanding at a, at a very rich level and by the way uh happens to be an alumnus of one of my favorite places in missouri which is westminster college home of the national churchill
2: museum as well how you doing
1: greg thanks for joining me. good
2: morning randy good to be with you
1: so, what was your initial reaction when you heard that the Supreme Court five to four refused to uh, to, to mess with this uh, with this law right now with the with the lower court decisions? What what was your initial just you know rapid fire reaction?
2: Uh, surprise, and uh, part of that surprise was I had not uh, drilled down before the news came that the Supreme Court had heard the had taken up this case, so. It, it all sort of from a legal standpoint uh, came out of left field, Randy. And so when I first heard the news, I was surprised. When I read the five opinions, uh, the uh, majority opinion and then the four dissents, then I understood uh, a little more. And we can talk about the how how, uh, how there was a pretty strident difference of opinion, but I think it's important just right up front for your listeners to say a couple of things. Number one, Roe v. Wade and Casey were not overturned by what the Supreme Court did. Instead, what the Supreme Court did Wednesday night on a really, really tough technical question, they refused to hear this case on a technical procedural ground and I think unfortunately what's happened in the public square is that clarity has gotten lost in the cacophony of of, uh, that Roe v. Wade has been uh, and Casey have been overturned they have not Uh, it uh, it was not heard on a technicality having said that the ramifications of this case both for the abortion part of, of the public square but on other parts of the public square that we can talk about is enormous it cannot be overstated randy
1: so it's a profound event in in abortion Law. I mean, it's a profound it, event, right?
2: It is because, and, it, and it, it, it's, it's the context. I guess is the best way to set the stage for your listeners. The, the context of what the Supreme Court did quickly was in May. Uh, a, a statute was enacted in Texas, and it went into effect or was to go into effect on September first. And the the statute. And, and this is not a criticism. I think the authors of the statute would would tell you uh, it was designed to make it difficult to challenge. They they, they wrote it up that way.
1: Well, yeah. Tell, tell, let's let's take a detour right there because that's what's that's my number one question, Greg. Right. I, there's, I mean, Missouri passed a heartbeat a law. There's uh, other states have passed it, and somehow those were, you know, there were injunctions. They're they're still being litigated, whatever. What was it? What was unique about this statute that enabled it to cross the finish line, if you will? What was unique about its construct?
2: Right. What was unique is that the enforcement mechanism is not the state of Texas. Uh, the in, in in many states uh, have have criminalized uh, abortion at a, at a certain stage of gestation. What this statute says is that uh, it it makes uh, um, abortion effectively after the sixth week illegal in Texas. But what the statute says is that it will not be criminally prosecuted, but rather there is civil liability. For uh, the person who performs the abortion and for any person who aids or abets in the performance of that abortion. So, so it's a, it sets up the civil liability construct, number one. Number two, anybody can bring that lawsuit. Let me say that again, Randy. Hmm. Anybody can bring a lawsuit alleging a violation of this statute. And if that person prevails in that lawsuit, the statute is mandatory. Number one, the court has to provide any injunctive relief. Number two, the court shall award that person at least $10,000. And, and get this, the person who prevailed gets to have all of their attorney's fees paid. So we suddenly, for the first time in, in uh, this uh, abortion rights journey that America's been on for 50 years, we have this statute which allows enforcement by private plaintiffs uh, for civil liability, and in your lead-in, you played the, uh, the uh, statement by President Biden where he talks, uh, he, he compares this to setting up a vigilante system, and so I think that's the big change to answer your question yeah. is that okay. it has set up this mechanism of, of civil liability, and as I say, it's mandatory. If if the person, I mean, just give our <laughs> give our listeners a hypothetical. The receptionist in a physician's office uh, checks a, a woman in, and the woman then has an abortion. This is in Texas, and it's in the say the tenth week. Um, the next week, um, a citizen of Texas sues that receptionist and says you aided and abetted in Doctor Doe's per, uh, performing the abortion, wow. and. And prevails against the receptionist. So that receptionist is personally liable for at least $10,000 cash, and she has to, the receptionist, she or he has to write a check in addition to the plaintiff to pay the plaintiff's legal fees pursuing the receptionist, and uh, a lot of people, including it sounds like President Biden, are are cuckoo for cocoa puffs, outraged at that. Randy.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like, Greg. I mean, it sounds like if someone if someone got wind of this at the coffee clutch that someone was considering an abortion and they had talked, uh, you know, to to the receptionist and the nurse at the place and whatever, they could contact a savvy lawyer. A friend of that potential person getting an abortion could contact a savvy lawyer who may have trained at the esteemed law school at which you teach, mm-hmm. and therefore trained very well. And they could sue. They could be, they could sue multiple people, and so they could get multiple ten thousand dollar awards.
2: potentially? Oh sure, yeah. The the uh, the receptionist, the nurse, <coughs> uh, the nurse practitioner. Uh, sure, they they could get uh, multiple recoveries, and again, uh, it's. Um, I, I think. Many in the public square would would observe that it is uh, a plaintiff's trial attorney's dream, yeah. Because in a in a typical personal injury case, um, uh, it's very often on a contingent fee basis. So the the plaintiff wins ten thousand dollars, but the plaintiff has to share a fourth or a third of that with with his or her mm-hmm. lawyer. With this statute, the prevailing plaintiff. Gets to keep all of uh, the the award of money judgment, but then in addition, the plaintiff and then effectively the plaintiff's lawyer gets to have all of the plaintiff's lawyer's fees also paid by the defendant, yeah. and so <clears throat> that's the that's the construct yeah. that was so unusual about this Texas statute. So what when it got to the Supreme Court? What five of the justices said is we as a supreme court we can't issue an injunction against a state court trial judge from conducting the trial because again the state of texas is not a party in this litigation it's it's civil litigation between and among private parties and so the five of the justices said we we can't Constitutionally, under the Eleventh Amendment, <clears throat> we can't enjoin a state court judge from hearing that case. Now, obviously, the other four—Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor—had <laughs> a much different and a much more visceral view of that. But that's the legal technicality.
0: Okay, Randy, okay. I wonder that,
2: that. Is that is that nobody, none of the five, said that this that this statute and this mechanism is substantively constitutional under Roe v. Wade and Casey, they, they they all made it very clear, even the five could not have made it any clearer that that question of constitutionality of this statute in Texas is for another day, Randy.
1: Okay, so this was, another, again, this was a technical thing. We've talked a lot about some very controversial rulings. You know, it seems like on our last two or three visits, it always comes down to not what I would call the real meat of the subject, but uh, I don't know the fat around the edge or that little membrane well, between
2: the meat. I, I think that's a fair characterization. Yes, in <laughs> that uh, and and lots of the the public uh, sometimes uh, uh, direct and other times kind of tongue in cheek talk about wow, those lawyers are always you know they're always getting somebody off on a technicality. Well. Uh, maybe or maybe not, but I think in this case, uh, even as I say, even the five would acknowledge that uh, that that the order that they issued late Wednesday night was a very technical procedural issue. So where where that left everybody, and where we find ourselves. Uh, where the people in texas find themselves today because let's be clear this this law is not enforceable outside of texas against anyone um but uh, this morning in texas um with one exception it uh if an abortion is is performed beyond the roughly sixth week that where there's a heartbeat detectable that the person's involved in that whether it's the physician the receptionist the nurse the nurse practitioner um, someone who drove the the uh, the woman receiving the abortion to the hospital and and, then drove her there and sat with her and drove her home all of those people are still subject to this civil liability we just outlined the one exception is late yesterday in Travis County, Texas, uh, which is the Austin area, a state court judge entered a temporary restraining order, a temporary injunction uh, blocking enforcement of this statute against a certain specific group, but um, that's that's a pretty narrow read yeah. right now uh, <laughs> as, I s- we, I saw as we sit here on a Saturday morning.
1: Yeah, I saw that. The judge uh, Maya Guerra Guerra Gamble said that an anti-abortion group is restrained from exercising their rights under this law and suing Planned Parenthood, I guess, until a further hearing in September. So basically, she's demasculated. She's taken the hammer out of their hands, right? Well,
2: yeah, she's blocked. Yeah, she's blocked it, uh, and, uh, and, and but and her injunction applies just to the parties of that litigation. So that's what I that that's why I say it's a pretty it's a pretty okay. narrow read. Sure. Uh, okay. So if you have a. If you have a woman in in El Paso, Texas, who was scheduled to have the procedure done on Monday, um, my guess is that it is highly likely that uh, she would proceed to, in in that position, and people who are aiding and abetting her would proceed at their own risk.
1: Okay. We're talking with Greg Willard, uh, adjunct professor of law at St. Louis University, former assistant to President uh, Ford. Gerald Ford and uh, an our uh, expert and go-to legal expert whenever we talk about these thorny issues of the law, which are difficult to understand. And uh, Greg, if you can stay with us, uh, you know, Joe Biden in his talk yeah, the other, last week, after the ruling, uh, telegraphed that the DOJ is looking into ways to try to somehow, I guess, blunt or undo or mitigate what they view as the damage of this law on women who would like to have an abortion. So maybe you can speak to that and do a little speculative law uh, sure. uh, evaluation analysis after this, and talk about the larger your ramifications and where we're going in terms of the domino effect across these states because I have a feeling you're going to see these things being introduced in legislators all all over, legislatures all across the land. Uh, if you can hang with us, okay? That'd be great. Will do. Thank you. Greg Willard uh, with us here on the Tober Show. Stay tuned. Lots more right around the corner. The
0: president supports abortion when his own Catholic Teaches abortion is morally more. No. he believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. Why does the president who does he believe she should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions, uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected.
1: Well, there was Jen Psaki getting on her high horse a little bit with a with a reporter who asks a reasonable question. I mean, Joe Biden came out stridently, as we played in the previous segment, uh, uh, condemning the uh, the failure of the Supreme Court to, uh, I guess, overturn a, a lower court ruling to allow the Texas heartbeat abortion law stand. And last segment, uh, Greg Willard uh, unpacked that with the key reason that this heartbeat law is survived, challenged thus far, was... Uh, because of its uh, civil, its its uh, its uh, emphasis on a civil mechanism for enforcement by eight uh, rather than a criminal penalty, for instance, like I think that was the heartbeat law here in Missouri, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Greg. And he joins mm-hmm. us here for a few more minutes. That's that's really the fundamental linchpin difference here, right? So what's what's going to prevent everyone every legislator in a conservative state? Uh, where, where it's got a good pass, chance of passing because of, you know, the, the way the houses are built um, from just copying that law, Greg? I mean, and then why would anyone well, want to d- challenge it? Is that what you think is going to happen over the next uh, legislative sessions across the land?
2: Well, two things, Randy. You are, you are so right that the uh, cascade of copycat states is about to flow forth, and uh, I for example, I think similar legislation may have been introduced already in South Dakota. So, I think uh, our our listeners are, are going to see and hear uh, lots and lots of states uh, just jump into the Me Too line with what Texas has done. Secondly, I would make this observation. This may begin to look like the dog that caught the car. Because there are many, many millions of people in the public square who are championing the fact that the United States Supreme Court refused on a procedural technicality to intervene Wednesday evening. (laughs) I would suspect, Randy, that among those tens of millions of people who are delighted and cheering what the court did. Um, A significant portion of them are very strong proponents of the Second Amendment right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. What is to stop a state if in the end this civil liability structure is held to pass constitutional muster? What is to prevent a series of states from passing laws providing for civil li- liability for anyone who aids and abets in the pers- purchase or possession of a weapon?
1: Oh, my. Uh, an, assault, <laughs> uh, an assault weapon.
2: A wow. pistol. Uh, pick, pick your weapon. But um, I think... That's why I say, Randy, everybody, and and as you and your listeners know, I never, ever take a side on any of the issues we discuss, and I'm not going to take a side this morning.
1: Well, shucks.
2: If if we we (laughs) accept the proposition, whether your listeners agree or disagree, if we accept Mm -hmm. the proposition that Roe and Casey are still the law of the land and that there is a a constitutionally recognized right to abortion uh, for a woman under that Roe and Casey. And if we also recognize that your listeners have a constitutional right to bear arms and your listeners have constitutional rights that are individual and personal to them in a variety of other contexts, if a state can pass a law imposing civil liability for persons that aid or abet in you or your listeners exercising one or more of those individual core civil rights, um, as we say up in the country, somebody's going to have some splaining to do. Mm-hmm. And so, all I'm all I'm suggesting to your listeners is take a step back when reflecting on this case. Take a step back and ponder whether in our constitutional system in our republic whether we want neighbor against neighbor litigating in the courts for tens of thousands of dollars the constitutional individual liberty rights of that other neighbor. And I I think, irrespective of where any of your listeners come out on the ideological framework, Randy, that's that's a profound uh, situation that every American, I think, needs to take a step back and contemplate on a Saturday morning, Randy. All
1: right. Well, and with that, we will wrap. But I think what I'm hearing, Greg Willard... Is you have just given the key to the proverbial Pandora's box <laughs> to the anti-gun lobby, <laughs> and uh, and that's exactly. interesting. I mean, I and you're right, and it plays into the cultural pathology that I am worried about in our country. And we're running out of time; we don't have time to, to delve into a lot. But this just plays on the whole cancel culture. If I disagree with you, I'm you know I'm gonna I'm gonna cancel you. Um, well let me just quickly
2: sort of, interject Randy because yeah. you you I, I talked about the Second Amendment. You yeah. have absolutely put your finger in, in your observation spot on what about our rights under the First Amendment? whether it's yeah. freedom of speech, association yeah. or religion? Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. no, that's right. No if I, if I don't like the church you go to because your church is an anti-abortion church, am I now aiding and abetting? You know, I mean, I, I, I could sue. I could sue the pastor because he's aiding in a. Bed. This is crazy. I don't know. It's 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 all over the map. Greg Willard, we love when you're on, and I really appreciate your time on a, on a Saturday morning. And uh, boy, thanks. I hope when the Mississippi ruling comes down, which I think is more about that meat,
2: not so much technical. Yes. That's yeah, my that's read. The, That's a substantive issue, Randy.
1: Okay, we'll we'll touch base again then, if not sooner. Greg Willard, we really
2: appreciate you,
1: my friend. Thank you so much.
2: Good to be with you. You stay safe.
1: We will. You too. Well, there he is, Greg Willard. Um, And I didn't have a chance to talk with Greg about it um, because we're going to go to our close, which has become quite popular and uh, is, I hope, moving you like it moves me every week uh, with the great voice of David Phelps. Um, uh, Suffice it to say that someday I want to engage Greg in a really robust discussion about Potential differences, as this layperson sees them, between the clear ink on the paper of the Constitution about our Second Amendment rights, and where I don't see any ink on the paper about the right to terminate a preborn human being, at least genetically. I think otherwise, too. And so maybe there's a little nuanced difference, maybe not such a nuanced difference in the uh, in the, in the, uh, the constitutional right and its construct. But that's a Roe basis versus, versus Wade argument that we'll be talking with Greg about when we have a little more time. Well, for producer Max, for Randy Tober, for all of us here at News Talk STL, thank you for being with us. If you like what you heard, like us on Facebook, make sure you stay tuned with us next week and stay tuned with me at Randy Tober MD on Twitter and on our Facebook page uh, and tell your friends about it and like us on Facebook, and uh, spread the good word, because we try to keep it honest, we try to keep it truthful, and we always are destroying woke. I commend this to you. We'll see you next week.